Amen. Lord, you are a wonderful God, and I pray that your grace would never grow common with us. Lord, that we would walk in the center of your will. Help us, Lord, to be men and women after your own heart, reflecting you to a lost and a dying world. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that you pour out upon us that we might walk in holiness before you. We pray right now as we go to your word that you would be our teacher. We thank you, Lord, that we're all here by divine appointment. Nobody's here by chance. Your word is always right on time for right where we are. And so we ask that you would be our, to speak to each and every heart. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Go ahead and grab a seat. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. Now, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, a couple things real quick. Uh, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. Let me encourage you to come on Wednesday night. We'll be in 1 Samuel chapter 14, looking at the second half of that this coming Wednesday. Now, this morning, we should be in Titus chapter 1, should be. But I wanted to share some things from my heart with you guys, and then we're going to look at something different this morning. But we will be in Titus chapter 1 next, next Sunday. I want to encourage you to read ahead. Uh, before we look at the Word, though, I did want to have you pray about something. I got an email this week that for the first time in, a, I don't know how many years, the FCC has opened up a bunch of full-power uh, radio stations for there to be, you know, for people to apply for them. And there's a Calvary guy in Indiana that's helped set up about 100 or so of these who sent out emails. And uh, so we are currently looking into having a full-power FM radio station 24 hours a day, seven days a week in Santa Cruz. So be praying. So be praying. The Word of God to be taught, worship. It would just be sweet. Amen? So God, you know what? They say the odds are stacked against it, but my God's greater than any odds. How about, it? How about yours? Amen? So please, be praying about that. It'll be a long process. It won't be cheap, but our Father has a cattle on a thousand hills. If He wants us to have it, He'll take care of it. Amen? All right. Now, in the past weeks, go ahead and look at, go to 2 Timothy 4. I want to read a couple verses to you, and then we'll go to our text for this morning. But I want to tell you why we're going where we are going. It says there in 2 Timothy 4, beginning at the first part of that chapter, we looked at this a few weeks ago as we're going verse by verse through the New Testament. And, you know, I know that you feel like most of the time I'm preaching at you, but I want you to know that God is ministering to my heart as I study. And one of the things that God's been putting on my heart in a big way is especially when reading the pastoral epistles, because they're written to pastors, though they apply to all of us, there are some things that God was really stirring my heart as we were in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I want you to notice there, it says there in verse 1, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing, preach the word. You know I like that. Now, preach the word, the word in there means to herald or to proclaim the whole counsel of God. And so a pastor is called to proclaim the whole counsel of God, not his opinion, but the word of God. My opinions are irrelevant. What I think, what you think, what I feel, what, I, what you feel, what I believe, what you believe is irrelevant apart from the word of God. And so the pastor, the word herald there means he simply takes what the master has given him and he speaks it with great boldness. But notice, it doesn't end there, because it goes on to say, be ready in season and out of season. So a pastor to be ready to share the word anywhere and anytime. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering. For time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth, 
and be turned aside to fables. Grab the tape. I don't have time to go into that portion right now. But as we know, we're living in those times right now where people are raising up teachers that will tell them what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. Teachers that will tell us about prosperity and you know, how wonderful it will be. We follow Jesus, he'll give us all the physical stuff we want rather than the message that if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's the Bible. Now you get to verse 5, and this is where God's been ministering to my heart. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, Fulfill your ministry. So as a pastor, I'm called to not only rightly divide the word of truth and teach you the whole counsel of God, but God says to do the work of an evangelist. Now, every one of us is called by God to share our faith. Every one of us. Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. We're called to do that. And we don't go ministering or go evangelizing, but, or, or we're not evangelists, but everywhere we go, we're sharing our faith. It's not we go out door to door, you know, trying to reach the lost, and we should do that, and we could do that, but we should have that attitude when we go to work in the morning, and when we're in the grocery store. It shouldn't just be something we do for an hour a week, but at the people that we are as we live and move and breathe. Now, as I was studying this part, it was stirring up my heart about evangelism. And then, if you were here Sunday night, Ross Rhodes, the, the thing we saw from the pastor's conference, he was speaking about the exact same thing, that pastors would do the work of an evangelist. And certainly, as we teach through the Bible, we get it in proportion to the way God gave it to us. And certainly, we have people getting saved in this church virtually every month because we do look at the evangelistic part of every single text and we talk about it. But I do believe that there's a time and a place, and it's going to happen this morning, that we need to step back and spend the entire time looking at the gospel. Spend the entire time just looking at what it means to be a Christian. And this should not, this is not only for the people who are here who do not know God, well, though it's certainly for you. And if you're here by, you are here by divine appointment. If you don't know the Lord, God knew before the foundation of the world that He was gonna have me change the message at three o'clock in the morning last night because you were gonna be here. Our God can do that, amen? And at the same time, it should be an encouragement to the believers who are here that we know what we believe and why we believe it, and we're able to give a defense for the hope that lies within us. Amen? So with all that being said, turn to John chapter 3. And again, as you know, we go right through the Bible, we teach in its proportion, but let me say this, I think John chapter 3 needs to be taught a little more often. It's all in the Word, it's all good, and we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we go through Leviticus, we teach every verse in the Bible. But this morning, I titled the message, The Missing Link. The Missing Link. It's not Cro-Magnon Man, by the way. But The Missing Link. It's interesting that today, scientists are looking for a non-existent missing link in an attempt to prove the myth of evolution. They're looking for a link to link, you know, man back to an ape. And they keep trying to find it, and they're not going to, they can keep looking. And it's incredibly sad to me to see how many are looking for answers where none exist. But this morning, I'd like to talk about the real missing link between man and God. The missing link is not Cro-Magnon man. The, the missing link is Jesus Christ. He's the only link between sinful man and holy God. And this morning, we're going to look at two examples of two extremely different people. One, a man who's like, who was potentially the most religious man on the planet. From the world's perspective, if anybody was saved, it would have to be this guy. He was the Pope of the day, if you will. And then we're going to see another example of the most ungodly woman on the planet at the time. A woman who was, you know, 
Her own people rejected her. A woman who had to go out in the middle of the, the noonday sun to fetch water because that's when nobody else would be out there to ridicule her. But we're going to see that both with the most religious man who ever lived and the most ungodly woman who ever lived, the answer is the same. It's Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you think, well, I'm a pretty good guy and my life's pretty good. And, you know, if anybody's going to heaven, I'm certainly am because, you know, I give to charity and I've never killed anybody. And, you know, I'm a pretty religious. I, I'm, hey, I'm a church today. What do you want from me? Let me tell you something, you need Jesus. And you might be here today and you might have been brought by somebody, you might have come in in desperation and thought, my life is such a disaster, there's no way in the world that God could ever forgive me. You know what? Not only do you need Jesus, but His hand is out to you this morning. So let's begin in John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And we're going to take a look at these two biblical characters and perspectives. And my prayer would be for each one of us that even now, as I prayed throughout the night for those who would be here this morning, that God, we'd be open to what God wants to speak to us. You might say, well, I'm already a Christian. Well, God still wants to speak to you. Can I tell you that I, I'm amazed at some of the, and please don't take this wrong, and please call me with any question you have anywhere, anytime. And you know what? And I don't always have the answers because I don't have answers, but the Word of God does. But here's the point. I'll hear Christians say things to me like, well, maybe there is another way. Well, what about the poor person out here? Hey guys, I pray that when you walk out of here, you have a clear sense and understanding of the gospel and there's no more questions in your mind. You have a clear understanding because these are the words of our Savior and we need to hear them. So let's begin in verse 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus, his name means victor over the people. A Pharisee was, is from a Hebrew word which means to separate. And the Jewish leaders who had, these, had separated themselves to some of the most strict religious rules you had ever seen. They not only had the law of Moses, but they made up a bunch of more rules. And added on these rules that no man could ever keep. But they made themselves really pious and religious by having a list of rules and lording them over others. And the interesting part is Nicodemus was one of the rulers of these Pharisees. He was a part of the Sanhedrin, the 71-member court the supreme court of the Jews that met daily in the temple to hold court. Now their traditions were everything from how they dressed, and you know, they would dress to be, quote, religious, but really what they were doing was trying to draw attention to themselves. You will never, ever in your life, ever, ever, ever see me wear a collar or a robe. Now, there are godly men who do that, and God bless them. But you know what? We're not trying to draw attention to ourselves, but to Him. Amen? Don't look at me, look at Him. It'd be great if we could stand up here behind a screen or something, you know what I mean? Just look at him and look at him alone. But the Pharisees were the opposite. They wore the long robes and they made the long prayers. And they would tithe out of their spices. They'd go home and get their pepper shaker out. Okay, we give 10% of that. And they would count every grain. And yet at the same time, they were living ungodly lives having rejected the Messiah. Guys, you can be as religious in the world as you want to be and still be lost. And Nicodemus was a religious man. So Nicodemus was looking in his mind, his religious, his missing link was living a righteous, pious life and being involved in church. And again, from the outward appearance, this guy would seem to have it all going on. Look at verse 2. This man came to Jesus by night. Now, Nick came to Jesus by night. The first episode of Nick at night, right? So he shows up. <laughs> Youth pastor, sorry. Okay. 
But what we see here is he was afraid of openly associating with Jesus. He was afraid. He thought, if I come to Jesus during the day, then all my other Pharisee bros are going to see me, and they're going to think, dude, what are you doing talking to him? We're the religious ones. We're the, he should be coming to us. But Nicodemus goes under the, you know, the cover of darkness because he was afraid of what men would think of him. But I believe this darkness is a symbol of Nicodemus' hidden sin. His sin was hidden from the eyes of men. But you know what? God knew exactly the kind of man he was. You may appear really religious before the world, but God knows your heart. And if you don't know this already, let me tell you yet again, you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen? All of us. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. Desperately, hopelessly in need of Him. And so we see here that Jesus is a teacher come from God. Not, it's not a man educated by men. And so he comes to him and look what he says. You are a teacher come from God. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. The signs he was talking about was the miracles that we saw in that video. Wasn't that a great video, by the way? Just, we ought to be amazed. And we ought to stay amazed about who our God is and His incredible grace He's shown toward us. I'm back there watching that weeping because, I mean, He's touching those who are, who are crippled and He heals them. He touches the blind. He raises the dead. But you know what the greatest miracle of all is taking someone who is dead in their trespasses and sins and making them a new creation in Jesus Christ. And so while we're in awe of those miracles, every one of you that's been born again is the ultimate miracle of what God can do in someone's life through the power of His Son and His shed blood on the cross. Amen? That was kind of weak, actually. Amen? Amen. All right, praise the Lord. Now, he says, you know what? You're a teacher come from God. Because, you know, you do miraculous works. And so now, because you are a teacher come from God, we recognize the power that God has upon your life. We want to ask you, or I want to ask you, again, though, in secret, a question. Verse 3. I love this part. He says, No one can do this unless God is with them. And then Jesus answered and said to him. Now, I love that Jesus answers before he asks the question. I love when he does that. That just blesses me. You know what? Guy comes up and he goes, and he just starts answering their question. Now, that ought to be enough. I think fall on your face right there, right? Amen? I didn't even ask. Did I say it? I didn't hear it. Did, Did I think that out loud? What happened? Boom, on his face. But you know what? The Lord knows the heart of every man. And he saw Nicodemus coming unto him, and he answers his question even before he asked it. And this is what he said. Most assuredly, I say to you, because you're a really religious guy, just keep doing what you're doing. Is that what it says? He says, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Now, is that pretty straightforward or what? He doesn't say, unless someone joins our church, unless someone becomes a member in good standing, unless someone is baptized in our baptismal by our pastor, unless someone keeps all the religious rules, he said, no, unless someone is born again. It's interesting, some years back I spoke at a Christian school, and I used the term born again, and I was accosted by the vice principal on the way out, telling me I would never be able to speak there again, because I used the term born again, and after all, that was just a term Billy Graham made up. Do you have a Bible? Let me show you something. Jesus said that, amen? Guys, there are not Christians and born-again Christians. There are only born-again Christians. 
You can't be a Christian if you're not born again. Amen? And you can only be born again through Jesus Christ. So he says to them, you must be born again. The word they're born again means born from above. So he says, most assuredly, some of your translations say verily, verily, or truly, truly. You know, he's saying this is an an irresistible fact. This is something that's undeniable. Truly, truly. If he says truly once, we listen. When he says it twice, we really listen. Truly, truly, I say unto you, you must be born again. Now, just as you cannot enter enter in or understand this physical world until you were born physically, so too you cannot understand the spiritual world or enter in until you've been born spiritually. Why is it that we read the Bible and it just makes so much sense and you read it to someone who's not saved and they go, I don't see that. I don't see anything there. You're like, hello. And you know why? Because they're spiritually dead. Now, that doesn't make us better than them. It's God's grace that redeemed us, amen? So it should make us more burdened for them to continue to open it up and pray that the scales be removed from their eyes and they would see their desperate need for Jesus Christ. The Pharisees thought their physical ancestry, their outward religious piety qualified them to enter into the kingdom of God. And when the Messiah would come, they thought he would come and rule and reign upon the earth. And their hope was in anything worldly. Guys, if your hope is in anything in this world, you're hopeless. Because you're gonna, it can be lost, and it will be lost, and this life is but a vapor. But guys, Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you daily, preparing a place for you, calling you home one day, you must be born again. Amen? Amen? All of us must be born again. Jesus is telling them, pay attention. Be, you must be born from above. Now look at this example of spiritual blindness. This is the Pope of the day. The most religious man around. Wearing his robes as he comes to Jesus. I find that interesting that Nicodemus no doubt was covered in his priestly robes. And he comes to Jesus who was clothed in a way that did not make him stand out at all. Now look what he says to him. Nicodemus says, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Now, when you're spiritually blind, you look at everything from a physical perspective. When he said born again, what are you talking about? Crawl back into my mother's womb and be born? T- That's impossible. But Jesus was speaking about spiritual birth, but Nicodemus thought only of a physical one. This is a, a well-educated religious leader, and he didn't have a clue of what Jesus was talking about. You'll find that often today. People with a lot of education, with a lot of theological background, but they don't have a clue about who Jesus is. Guys, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. You need to know Him in a personal and an intimate way. The the same thing happens today when you speak again to someone about being born again. They usually respond from a physical point of view. You talk to people about being a Christian, they'll tell you about their religious parents. Or they'll tell you about their grandmother who was a missionary. Or the membership at some church they have. Or the charitable giving. Guys, you can't be good enough. And you can't be born again apart from being born from above. It's a spiritual transformation that must take place. Now Jesus explains it to him. Verse 5, Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, 
and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Now, born of water, some people try to make that baptism. That's not what it is. How do we know that? Because he explains it in verse 6. that Unless one is born of water and the Spirit. Born of water, right after that verse 6, born of the flesh. When you're born of the flesh, what do you ha- you know, you're in a fluid, right? You come out, and that born of water is talking about physical birth. But not only must we be born physically, we must also be born spiritually. Born of the Spirit. So we have the physical birth, and then we have the supernatural birth. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Guys, when you're born again, everything changes. Everything changes. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Now, this is not a license to sin, but it's freedom from sin. When you're born again, you ought to start walking and living a holy life because part of being born again is repentance, which means to turn away from the person I used to be and to start following God with my whole heart. People ought to see something different in us. Now, it doesn't mean that we're sinless, but we do sin less. Amen? Amen. And we're convicted when we sin. And our lives and our passions change. Our priorities change. Everything about us is different. That's how you know when someone has truly been born again. We become partakers of His divine nature, it says in 2 Peter. We have an appetite for the things of God. An appetite for the Word of God. You know, some of you, how many of you read the Bible before you were saved and you thought it was the most boring book you ever read in your life? And then you got saved and what happened? The Bible rocks. Amen? Amen. You know what happens is your appetites change, your passions change. And again, the Word of God, it's it's like it's been opened up to you. For the first time. Why? Because the Holy Spirit gives you understanding. There's a supernatural hunger to know Him better. The only way we can enter into God's family is through spiritual birth. Period. Verse 6. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. So, each one of us is a slave to whatever we've been born to. If you've only been born to the flesh or a slave to the flesh or desires of the flesh or passions or for the things of the flesh, when you're born again, your desires become for the things of the Spirit. Your passion becomes for the things of the Spirit. You're being led and guided by the Holy Spirit living inside of your life. Amen? There's a radical transformation. Christianity is not going to church, guys. It's not just joining a religious country club, which many churches have become today. It's dying to self and giving your life to Jesus Christ, and now everything's different. That is what God has called us to as believers in Him. Most people, though physically alive, are spiritually dead. Nicodemus, you're the most religious guy on the planet. You're a Pharisee. You're a member of the Sanhedrin. You got the robes. People are blown away by you. People are in awe of your very presence. You know what, Nicodemus? You're a sinner in need of a Savior. You must be born again. God is not blown away by us, by the way. God doesn't get impressed by you. I'm so impressed with Him. No, God's not impressed. Now, He loves you. You're His treasured possession. He'd rather die than live without you. But he's not impressed by anything you've done because anything you can do, he gave you the ability to do. Amen? Now he says there, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Again, this guy, can you imagine Nicodemus? Huh? What? 
I was born a Jew. I'm a Jew of Jews. I'm one of God's chosen people. I'm a religious leader. I'm zealous for the law. I outwardly keep the law more than anybody. What are you talking about? People, if you ask anybody around here, they'll say, I'm the most religious guy going. What do you, I have to be what? What are you talking about? Jesus said, you must be born again. Good works can't save you. God doesn't grade on the curve. He grades at the cross. Amen? It's not how good you are compared to other people. It's what you've done with God's Son that matters. Verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2 says, No one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God does all the leading. Man does not lead the Spirit. The Spirit leads man. We don't tell the Holy Spirit what to do. Amen? I'm tired. Boy, I tell you. I got no time for that. But it's a, it just frustrates me when you see people on TV commanding and telling God what to do. We command that you. Oh, no. I don't think so. Fall in your, Lord, thank you. Praise your name. Lord, your will be done. Amen? Not, Lord, you better get in, my, get in line with what I want. I got faith, man. Here's my faith. Here you got it. No, stop. That's blasphemous. It really is. Guys, we don't command God, we obey God. We follow after Him. And He's telling them, Nicodemus, the the Spirit is the one who's in charge. It goes where it goes. The Holy Spirit goes where He's going to go. He leads. You follow. You don't lead. He does. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? You know what he's saying in rich language? How come I don't know this? I'm the Pope. How do I don't know this? I'm the most religious guy on the planet. How in the world is it I've never heard this before? Guys, when you share this message, people are going to have that, what? I thought there was many paths. I thought you could just be a good man. Uh, No, you can't. You know what? He had head knowledge, but no heart knowledge. It's been said that many people will miss heaven by 18 inches. This This is between their head and their heart. They'll have a knowledge of God, but have never given their life to God. Amen? Guys, it's not good enough to know about God, to believe that there is a God. You must give your life to Him. Completely. God is not in the business of saving part of you. He redeems all of you. Amen? So you can't give Him a piece. Okay, Lord, you can have a part of my life. Lord, I give you my life completely. Do you want part of you to go to heaven or all of you to go to heaven? Amen? Lord, I want, I want to spend eternity in your presence. He, what was his problem? Why wasn't Nicodemus getting it? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the, now notice, the teacher of Israel? He didn't say a teacher. Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? How come you don't understand this? Nicodemus. Can you imagine? I believe if Jesus came to earth today, he would not go to the White House. He would not go, I don't think he'd go into the brothels or the strip clubs. You know what I think he'd go? I think he'd go to the churches where they're standing up and saying they're, they're representing him and yet they don't know the gospel. That's, right. That's where he would go. He'd walk in and say, hey, are you the teacher of this church and you don't know these things? How do you not know these things? You know why they don't know? Because people are, be, are biblically illiterate today. The Word of God has ceased to be taught. 
We're apologizing for it. We're watering it down. And what we need to be doing is standing up and shouting it from the mountaintop. And doing it in love, but without compromise. Nicodemus, you're the teacher and you don't understand this. Verse 11, most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. Who is this we? There's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Anybody tries to tell you the Bible doesn't teach the Trinity, first of all, they haven't read the Bible. But if they, here's a great verse. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We. He's one God in three persons. Try to figure that out sometime, you will have a headache, okay? But here's the point. The religious leaders were followers of the law, followers of tradition, but they did not heed the words of the very Messiah that the law pointed to. You know what I love about the Old Testament? Jesus is in every chapter. Every chapter is pointing to the true and living Messiah. And if you read the Old Testament, you can't help but see Jesus. Remember on the road to Emmaus, they walked with him, the disciples, and it said he reasoned with them from the law and the prophets, that's the Old Testament, all the things concerning himself. And this was a two to three hour walk, man, I would have loved to have been there. Love to have the CD of that message, amen? But he's walking along and he's just telling them everything from the Old Testament. Well, that's me. That's me. And there it is. There's another one. You know, Lamb of God, that's me. You know, and everything, the tabernacle and all the rituals and every single thing was pointing to Jesus. And he's saying, how are you a keeper of the law? And you don't understand that all the law points to me as your Messiah. Because you know what you've done? You've turned it into dead religion instead of a true relationship. You know what? Back in creation, he says, let us make man in our image. And we see that the the Trinity is still at work. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Nicodemus' problem is still prevalent today. Men are trying to earn God's favor through good works and through traditions of men while they're completely ignorant to the true Word of God. And who is the Word? Jesus Christ. Ignorance rooted in unbelief. Said they believed Moses, but they wouldn't believe Jesus. These guys said, we're of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus said, you know what? Raise up rocks to do that. I mean, you know, he just, and they go, oh, what? You know, they were so proud of their heritage. You know what, guys? It's fine to be, but I, I don't get it. Why, why do we spend so much time talking about our heritage? Let's talk about this heritage. Let's talk about this. Amen? Let's be way more, more uh, you know, excited about being a Christian than being Scottish like I am or whatever, right? These guys were really proud of their heritage, but they didn't know the true and living God. They were lost. And it breaks our our Father's heart. But praise God, I want to see this though. Let me back up. Nicodemus did come to him though, didn't he? He did come. He came at night, kind of wimpy, but he did come, right? And praise God for that. And we know in the end, Nicodemus is going to be saved. Look at verse 12. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe If I tell you heavenly things, I've explained the things in earthly terms. If you don't understand them, how in the world do you understand if I explain it in a spiritual way? Verse 13, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come, came down from heaven. That is the son of man who is in heaven. Now, no one has ascended to heaven and returned with heavenly wisdom. Only Jesus descended from heaven and has true heavenly wisdom. No one else. He is the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You want to have heavenly wisdom, you got to know the heavenly Savior. Amen? Amen. You're not going to get it anywhere else. There is no wisdom from man. Now, people get mad when I say that. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. Amen? And all wisdom comes from God. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Now, look at verse 14 and 15. Now, he's going to take this guy who's an Old Testament guy, right? 
He's a keeper of the law. He's a Pharisee. He's a part of the Sanhedrin. And he's going to take him to his own text, and he's going to reveal himself in it. Look at verse 14 and 15. Look what he says. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, you may not be as familiar with this story. You're going to be in a moment. But Nicodemus absolutely would have been. This story is out of Numbers chapter 21. The children of Israel were murmuring and complaining against Moses and against God, and God sent snakes into the camp. You remember this story? If you were here, we taught it. They got bit by the snakes. The snakes were poisonous, and they were starting to die. The Lord told Moses to take a pole and put a serpent on the pole and hold the pole up. The, serpent, the, the pole is made out of brass. And anybody who looked at the pole would be healed. A serpent on a pole for healing. What in the world is that about? Well, let me tell you. First of all, brass in the Old Testament always points to judgment. The bronze laver, the bronze altar, that's where, Pete, where the, Lord was, or the, the lamb was laid down, which is a picture of the Lord dying on the cross. But what's interesting, it says in 2 Corinthians, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The serpent on a pole is a picture of Jesus on the cross because he became sin for us. So they looked to the very one, the thing that had bitten them and inflicted them, and they looked to the pole, which is a picture of the cross of Calvary. And I know when we look at that, we think that just doesn't... It, but it's a picture of sin, isn't it? It is. But Jesus took all of our sin upon himself. Jesus, our Savior, who became righteous God, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. Verse 16. If you don't have it memorized, any verse in the Bible, memorize this one. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is one of the best known verses in the Bible and no doubt because it so clearly states the simplicity of the gospel. It summarizes everything Jesus had been teaching Nicodemus concerning the way in which the new birth was received. For God so loved the world. That word love, one guess, what do you think it is? Agape. For God so agape the world, selflessly loved the world. This statement is the entire basis for Jesus coming to earth to die for us. He loved you. Sometimes people picture God as a, a God up in heaven, you know, with a lightning bolt in his hand. You ever seen cartoons with, you know, got a lightning bolt and a big beard just waiting for you to make a mistake? You know, that's not our God. If that were true, we'd have all been smoked a long time ago. Amen? He has so loved us. He loves us. He's a loving heavenly Father. He's perfect, holy, righteous, and just God, and He loves us. It says, for he so loved, that emphasizes the intensity of his love. Even though we are proud and self-centered and sinfully wicked, he knows every one of my sins and he loves me anyway. It blows me away that he that knows me best loves me most. Isn't that awesome? He knows me best and he loves me most. What a great and gracious God we serve. Now, God doesn't love our sin, but he does love us. Amen? He's a loving God, and it's a selfless love. It says that He gave His only begotten Son. The word begotten there means unique or one of a kind. God made manifest in the flesh. Emmanuel, God with us. Doesn't mean He was a created being. 
He's the firstborn over creation. So how valuable are you to God? The value of something is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. How many parents we have in here? Okay. Now, how many of you would give one of your children to die for your best friend? Well, maybe some, maybe a few of you. Not, not me. Sorry. Not going to happen. Sorry. I'll pray for you. You'll be in heaven. I'll see you later. You know what I mean, right? But imagine giving one of your children for someone who hates, despises, and curses your name. How you determine the value of something, what someone is willing to give for it. How valuable are you to God? He gave His Son to die in your place. May we never take that too lightly. Amen? Amen. May we never take that for granted. Then, So Jesus died so you don't have to. You know, Christians, we don't really die. We just move. Amen? To a much better neighborhood, right? We close our eyes on earth. We open them up in glory. It doesn't get any better than that. But look what it says. That whoever believes in Him should not perish. So He gives this gift. It's available to all mankind. And all we have to do is receive it. Here's the gift. It's available. Just reach out and take it. Whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, I want to make it very clear. That word believe, it doesn't just mean to have a, a, a head knowledge of something. Well, I walked down and I prayed a prayer and I believe. No, that belief will transform how we live. We will walk in holiness before God. We'll have a passion to serve Him with our whole heart. It won't just be walking out, praying a prayer, and living the same old life. Because now you're a new creation in Him and it should be reflected in how you live. Amen? Amen. The word there for believe means to know by test. You can say you believe. It's another thing to, to really believe. You've heard the analogy, maybe you've heard the analogy before. This is a true story. They had a wire going across Niagara Falls, and this guy was walking on a tightrope across this wire. And people said, you know, do you believe I can do it? And they're like, oh yeah, we believe you can do it. And he walked back and forth and he did it. And then he said, he said, do you, do you think I could do it again? Go, oh yeah. Do you think I could do it with someone on my shoulders? Oh yeah, you probably could. Okay, do you want to go? Oh no, I don't, I don't want to go. <laughs> I believe you could do it with him on your shoulders, but... Not so much. Now, this means to believe and know by experience. I don't just believe there is a God. I know Him by experience. I have a relationship with Him. I don't just know about Him. Amen? Amen. That's what it means to believe. The word not perish. No one has has to perish. A way has been provided for salvation. Nobody has to perish. If we perish, we choose to. Here's what I believe. The Word of God clearly says, no one will go to hell unless they run over the cross of Calvary to get there. Lord, I don't want you. I'm not interested. He reaches out, he reaches out, he reaches out. The only people that will go will be those who continue to reject him. But notice it says, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That word everlasting is in the New Testament 50 times. And it doesn't just define the quantity of life, but the quality of life. Guys, if you're born again, you have eternal life right now. It doesn't start when you die. You already have it. Amen? Amen. And it's not just an eternal life in the quantity of it, but the quality of it. Man, there's a joy in knowing the Lord, isn't there? Nobody's happier than me. You know why? Because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness. Amen? And when you know Him, you get it. You understand what life's about. And the things of this world, it's no big deal. Because... We're going to heaven. How long is everlasting? How long is that? Long time. Amen? 
If you live to be 120, you'd be really old, and I haven't met that person yet. But let's just say you did. How long is that compared to 500 billion years? You know what? It's a net. It's a dash, right? It's nothing. And yet we live like this is what matters, and we blow off eternity. Oh, well, I'll worry about that later. Oh, yeah, you will. But here's the point. Here's the point. Everlasting life. There are people dying and going to hell without Jesus Christ. How burdened should we be for them that they don't spend eternity separated from Almighty God? Every believer this side of heaven should be burdened for every unbeliever this side of hell. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever, not just the righteous, not just the, you know, the ones that are clean cut, not just the ones who have no back, whosoever believes in Him. Man, I love that. Whosoever may come, come, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And again, praise God for His continual grace. Verse 17, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Guys, the world was condemned before He came. Amen? All the way back to the sin in the garden, we condemned ourselves by rejecting Him and choosing to sin. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose to sin. Don't blame it on them. If you'd been there, you would have done it. No, I wouldn't have. Well, okay. See if you can go a week without sinning and then come talk to me. Right? Here's the point. The point is that we choose to sin and we were condemned already. So Jesus didn't come to condemn us, but to give us life. To redeem us back from the condemnation that we brought upon ourselves. His heart was filled with tenderness and love toward man. He's not a harsh, cruel ruler, anxious to pour out his wrath, but he is a loving heavenly Savior anxious to pour out his grace. But it says, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus has so much love for us that he paid the price and he came and suffered and bled and died that we might be saved. But notice what it says. That the world, if you underline things, through him might be saved. Is there any other name listed after him? Through him or Buddha or Muhammad or Hare Krishna or Charles Taze Russell or Mary Baker Eddy or these are the founders, you know, Joseph Smith and Mormon Church. Through him, him. You notice that's capitalized him. Amen? Amen. Only through Jesus can, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Is there any ambivalence to that? Is that hard to figure out? So when someone comes to you, well, maybe there's another way. That's blasphemy. Jesus is the only way. And aren't you glad? I'm so glad He's the only way. I'm glad there's not 500 ways. Because I'd mess it up and pick 500 second one that's not really a way. I mean, I'm just glad. There's one way, amen? But yet the world today, you've heard me use this analogy before. Imagine if this building was on fire, that door was open, it was the only way out, and you're like, well, that seems kind of narrow to me. Why does that got to be the only door? Why can't I crawl out of the roof? Well, you'll burn to death. But I'm going to try, because I think that's just too narrow over there. You know, and that's what people do with Jesus today. Well, that's just so narrow. It's just so narrow that He's the only way. You know, and it, and it just doesn't seem fair to me that I, I'm born with a sin nature, and then I sin, and then I have to pay for my sin in the end. I've had people say that to me. I say, well, who do you think should pay for it? Well, God made me with a sin nature. Maybe He should pay for it. That's what he did. Amen? He did pay for it. 
And he is the only way and the only truth, and only through him can we be saved. Man, I'm way over, but you know know what? You're just going to have to relax, because I'm just going to keep talking. You can get up and leave if you want. Verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in him is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, what does that say in plain English? If you believe in Jesus, you're saved. If you reject him, you're condemned. That's it, isn't it? Well, that's just narrow. That's just, that just doesn't seem right to me. What about all these people who believe in Buddha? We need to tell them about Jesus. Amen? You know what? The enemy doesn't show up with a pitchfork in his hand and, a, you, know, you know, horns going out of his head, knocking door, come go to hell with me. He doesn't do that because we would, most of us would go, yeah, not so much, right? But what he will do instead is he will bring something that appears as an angel of light, that looks pretty good, that's kind of even close to the truth, but takes away Jesus. Oh, but we're religious, but we believe in God. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, come join our, our meetings. And, we, you know, and it's amazing how they mimic and copy the church, but they don't have the have Jesus Christ, it's not the church. People get upset when they hear this, but you know what? We need to hear it rather than live eternity separated from God, amen? There's so much at stake, guys. I mean, I just want to jump up and down sometimes when I hear this stuff because, again, eternity is hanging in the balance. And you know what? Jesus Christ can be your best friend. You can know Him in an intimate and a personal way. You know what, though? Why don't people turn to Him? Why don't they turn to him? Look what it says, verse 19. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men have loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Why didn't they come to him? Because they liked their sin. I like my sin. I said this a couple weeks ago, and again, when it goes on the radio, we'll get email. That's all right. But here's the thing. Why do people believe in evolution? Because they don't want to have to believe that there's a God that they'll have to be accountable to. We believe, people believe in evolution. You know what? The fact that they put those Darwin fish on the back of their car, don't tell me it's not a religion because it is. Amen? Amen? And they'll say, I want to believe in that because then if I believe that I just evolved from a monkey, I can act like one and never be accountable for it. <laughs> right? I can have no accountability and it'll be just fine. You know, this young man who shot 33 people at Virginia Tech, we're all blown away, but we're raising our kids with no morals, with no right, with no absolute truth, with no Bible, with no prayer, with no God in school, and then we're amazed when they act like people who evolve from apes in the way that they treat others. But we're teaching them, oh, that's what you came from. If your great-grandmother's, a, you know, I look at my, they don't look like a monkey to me. How about you, Amen. <laughs> ridiculous but see people would rather believe that because with creation comes a cross well i think creation if i don't have to have the cross we need the cross amen Amen. without the cross there is no salvation for everyone practicing evil hates the light does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in god you know what the world hates the light of the gospel the world hates the light of God's word. Why do they want to take the Bible out of school? Because, well, that thou shalt not kill. I just don't like that. Get that out of here. Why, why is anybody opposed to that? Because they don't like the halogen light being shined on their life. They would much rather continue on in their sin. I know I'm, I'm just now getting to this, but we're going to do it anyway. Verse, go over to verse chapter 4. So we've seen the religious man. We'll go through this quickly, but I want you to see a, a, a conflict, a, someone completely different. 
And I'll go through this fairly quickly, but I want you to see this contrast because we need to. So he got the most religious man. He said, you must be born again, right? Religious man needed Jesus, right? Now look at this woman. It says there in verse 3, he left Judea and abarted again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Now, there were several routes that Jesus could have taken, and the Jews usually went around Samaria because the Samaritans were half Jew and half Gentile, and the Jews considered them to be dogs and unclean, and they said, you know what, we don't want anything to do with them, and they even said, if you walked near a Samaritan, you would be defiled. So they would walk around Samaria. Where did Jesus go? Right through it. Why? Divine appointment. Look at verse 5. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near a plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. So they start at 6 a.m. and counting their day, so it's about noon. Isn't it interesting that Nicodemus came by night because his sin was hidden and the world thought he was righteous, but when's he going to see this woman whose sin is, is clear to the whole world in the middle of the noonday sun? Because her sin, everybody knows about. It's been exposed by the light, right? A lot of pictures here that I could go into. I don't have time. Now, verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is that you, being a Jew, ask me... Ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, here's what's interesting. She's coming out at noon to fetch water. Now, they carry these big, heavy water pots, and when you put water in them, they were really, really heavy. So when did women usually go? Early in the morning and late in the evening. Why? Because they didn't want to go in the heat of the day. But why does she go in the heat of the day? It's a reflection of the fact that she lives a life filled with public shame and ridicule from the world. We'll find out why in a minute. But she's so ungodly that even the other ungodly people point to her ungodliness. So she is going out there in the noonday sun, and look at this divine appointment waiting for her at the well. Jesus is there. What a great God we serve. She's going out there to avoid contact with the people who ridicule her, and there's a Savior there who's going to reach out to her in love. A woman that's rejected by the world is loved by God. And I love I just love these pictures of the grace of our Savior. So Jesus was a Jew. Her first understanding of him was that he was a rabbi, and she was amazed that he would ask her for a drink, that he would share a vessel with her, because most people thought Samaritan vessels were polluted. Verse 10. Then Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it was that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Now, he told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Well, I don't call back my mom's. Now he says to her, living water. Living water? What is that? Never heard of that. What, what world did he get that from? Where's where this living water? So she, Jesus points out three things to her. He points out who he is. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, and who says to you, give me a drink? And then what he could offer her. And then all that she had to do was ask. Now, while water sustains physical life, living water sustains spiritual life. The living water is the Holy Spirit. Amen? You come to me and get physical water, you'll be thirsty again. You come and ask for living water, the Holy Spirit will come inside of you, and you will never thirst spiritually ever again. People are thirsting spiritually, that's why they follow all this other garbage. They know there's something missing, they're looking for an answer, they're just looking for love in all the wrong places, right? 
They're looking for it where it doesn't exist. Verse 11. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? Now, like Nicodemus, she confuses the spiritual with the physical. He gives her a spiritual answer. She says, well, how do I get it physically? Verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob? Yes. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the the well and drank from it, it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? You know, our father Jacob, she's pointing to the common heritage that she and Jesus had. Our father Jacob. Guys, God has no grandchildren. He's not impressed with the fact that your great-grandparents were missionaries. All right? I mean, he, and that's a blessing that they were, praise God, but that won't save you. Amen? You're not going to be on our judgment day, but remember my great-grandma, she went to India, and, and so, hook a brother up. I mean, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. It's what have you done with God's son? We're almost done. Verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, because your flesh is never satisfied. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water I shall give him will become in him a fountain of living water springing up into everlasting life. Now, does that sound like some water you want or what? You drink the physical water, you thirst again. But the water, he goes, will spring up into everlasting life. This woman, this woman, sir, give me this water. But look at her reasons for wanting it. That I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Yeah, I'll be a Christian man, hook a brother, so then I can have all the riches of the world. I'll be a Christian so I can have all the stuff I want. I'll be a Christian because a girl I like, she's a Christian. If I'm a Christian, maybe she'll like me back. You know, there's all these reasons people come to Christ that aren't the right reason. And she wanted a physical blessing when she needed a spiritual one. The physical blessing, praise God, he didn't just say, okay, here, you'll never thirst again physically. Praise God that what he had for her would impact her eternity. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me the water that I may come here. And he said, Go call your husband and come here. Now, she doesn't understand. She asked for the wrong thing. And now Jesus is going to show her who he is. And let's finish up with this. Look what he says. Go and call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said, You've said, Well, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one whom you are now is not your husband. And that you speak tr- in, in that you spoke truly. So she says, I don't have a husband. And he just gives her her whole life history. Now, if you can do that, someone's speaking through you. In this case, we know it's God. Now, what did she say? The woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Duh. (laughs) Yeah. I perceive that you're a prophet. Verse 21, 20. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. The Jews say that that in Jerusalem is a place one should worship. And again, now she's asking him questions about discussing religion when she should be discussing her relationship with God. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for the salvation is of the Jews. Now, that would have seemed really narrow to her. But yet Jesus preached it anyway, didn't he? He didn't give her the answer she was looking for. He gave her the, the only answer that was true. Jesus is indeed the only way. Verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking those to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Those who are spiritually dead cannot worship. Those who do not know God cannot worship. Let's go down to verse 30 and we'll be done. Look, it says, The woman said to him, 
I know the Messiah is coming, who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Now, she knew enough to know the Messiah was coming. And then look at Jesus' answer. I who speak to you am he. Amen. There's one Messiah, one Savior, one Redeemer, one Lord, one God, and his name is Jesus. He says, he says to her, I speak to you, am he. This is the same word, literally. He says, I speak to you, I am. Remember in the burning bush, Moses said, who, who shall I say sent me? Say, I am that I am. This proves again that Jesus is God. Amen? He is God. Not a God, he is God. Last four verses. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no one said, why do you speak or why are you talking to her? Then the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come and see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the city and came to him. Now, I love this because the disciples went into the city and brought back no one. This woman who had just come to know he was Messiah two seconds ago dropped her pot, ran into... Dropped her pot. Good thing to do, by the way. She dropped her pot, <laughs> ran into the city and brought back everyone to meet Jesus. Amen? She went from, I don't understand, to come and see, come and see, come and see. That's the heart of someone who God has grabbed a hold of them. Amen? Now understand, and we're closing now, but really. But here's the point. Here's the point, and I'm going I'm to end with an analogy, but here's the point. You've got the most religious man of the day, the most righteous from the world's perspective, and he needed Jesus. He, you must be born again. You've got a woman who went out in public shame, who was cast dispersion on by her own people, who was blown away that he would even show up. And the good news is, Jesus can redeem even her. You may be here this morning and you may think you're a really good person. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. People will come and say, what about the good person? I'll say, well, let me, let's stop right there. There aren't any. Amen? There are no good people. And you might also be sitting here thinking, but pastor, if you knew the things I did, you'd probably throw me out of this building. You know what? God knows you best and he loves you most. And he sent his son to suffer and die for you. I'm going to close with an analogy. If you've been coming here for a long time, you've heard it before, so forgive me. But 22 years ago, my wife and I got married. And before we got married, I took her to the Shadowbrook restaurant and I got down on my knee and I proposed to her and asked her to become my wife. Now she said yes. Praise God. My four kids are really glad. But she said yes. But when she said yes, I took a ring and put it on her finger. And that ring is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week reminder that she and I are committed one to another. Now, she, took, she said yes, the ring was on her finger. But you know what? It wasn't until our wedding day that she walked down that aisle and said, I do, that she took my name. Her name went from being Lynette Weir to Lynette Johnston. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because Jesus is proposing to every one of us, but he did not do it on his knee at the Shadowbrook restaurant. He hung on a cross and said, Will you be my bride? The Bible says we are the bride of Christ. That salvation is offered freely. And as he opens up his arms and says, Will you be my bride? We must then say yes to his proposal. How do we do that? The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Now, 
when we say yes to his proposal, you know what happens? He doesn't give us, give us a ring that is a reminder that we are his. He gives us the Holy Spirit, the down payment on heaven. And when we say yes to his proposal and he gives us the Holy Spirit, then and only then can we take his name. And that name is Christian, follower of Jesus Christ. Amen? So going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Being a good person doesn't make you a Christian. You're not so good you don't need Christ. You're not so bad that He won't forgive you. Amen? So now, it's up to each one of us. What are you going to say to His proposal? He reaches out to every one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You. We thank You and we praise You for the divine appointment this morning that You've drawn us here together. Lord, I pray for anyone here who does not know You, that even now, by the power of Your Holy Spirit, You would open their eyes to the truth of who you are and your incredible love for them. With every head bowed, I'm going to just take a moment to do this. He's proposing to you this morning. saying, be a part of my bride. And if you say yes, what does that mean? It means that you want to turn away from your sin, you want to turn away from your old life, and you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, and you want to have Him on the throne, and you want to walk in holiness before Him from this day forward, and you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven. If that's your desire this morning, we're not asking you to join a church. We don't even have membership here. But you're here by divine appointment. His hand is held out to you. He will not force salvation upon you. It's offered universally. It must be accepted individually. If you're here this morning and you want to know for sure you're going to heaven, you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, more than just pray a prayer, but give your life completely to Jesus Christ and turn away from your sin and walk with Him, If that's your desire this morning, I want you to do something real simple. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If it's your desire to give your life to Jesus Christ, I want you to do something. Because if you don't do it here, you won't do it anywhere else. I want you just to stand to your feet so I can pray for you. Is there anybody at all? God bless you. Anybody else? Today's a day of salvation. He loves you guys so much. He hung on a cross for you. You can stand up for him. Anybody else? Stand to your feet. That's your desire. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit to transform us from death into life. And Lord, I pray for this young man who's standing to his feet. God bless him, Lord. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name, Lord, that as he comes before you confessing his sin, and asking you to be his Savior. Lord, that you would forgive him. We know you're faithful and just to do so. Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit upon him? Would you guide him and walk with him, Lord? Father, we know that if he is sincere in his heart, that your word says that he is a new creation in Christ right this moment, that he's going to heaven, that you've written his name in the Lamb's book of life, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. We praise you, Lord. There's no greater thing in the world than the decision to follow you. And Lord, I pray that you would bless our brother and you would help us, Lord, to hold up his hands, to be an encouragement to him. Lord, I pray for the rest of us, Lord, that if there's anybody else here that doesn't know you, Lord, even before they leave this place, would they make that confession before you? Lord, for those of us who do know you, I pray that we would be re-energized in our faith, to be re-exhorted, Father God, to, to not water down the truth of the gospel to not to give leeway that there might be another way. There is no other way. You're it, Lord. 
And we thank you for your love and for your grace. May we never take for granted what you've done for us. May we be amazed. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and close a worship song. By the way, all the angels in heaven are rejoicing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close the worship song.
Amen. Amen. Okay.